the best way to save money is not to spend money. Because you're so joyful, hence the joyful stuff. If you think about it, a lot of Asian foods are really, really cheap and easy. Welcome back to another episode of the Captain Bagrag Podcast, where we're on a mission to fight boring news about Asia and Australia. It's a tough job, but you know, someone's got to do it. As always, we're recording from downtown Chinatown, and today I welcome Serena, the joyful frugalista. <laughs> hey, Serena. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, no, thank you for coming all the way to Sydney. <laughs> it wasn't too far, but yes, it's a delight to be here. It's always a delight to have you because you're so joyful. And I try. Always, and always so upbeat, which is what I love. <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet of you. So what are you doing in Sydney today? Oh, I had a meeting with Australia's Best Recipes earlier this oh. morning. So I write recipes and articles for them. So Excellent. what about kind of recipes? Budget food and cooking, <laughs> which is really my passion. And to be honest, that's kind of how I got started on the whole Joyful Frugalista path was writing recipes that were cheap and easy to prepare. For. Can you give an example? Um, yeah, well, there's so many. I started doing this whole series of $5 Fridays of meals that cost $5 or less to prepare. Are you kidding me? Five bucks? Yeah, $5 or less. And actually, if you think about it, a lot yeah. of Asian foods are really, really cheap and easy. Like usually there isn't a lot of meat. There's mm. a lot of vegetables. Mm. There's things like tofu that are quite cheap, a lot of rice, noodles, so if you and soups. So if you think about it, an Asian-based uh, diet which uses lots of um, fresh fruit and vegetables particularly vegetables mm. is actually really really cheap i know it's amazing because uh, in downtown chinatown <laughs> we do get a lot of fresh produce for i'd say half the price in comparison to like woolworths or coles which is you know in the eastern suburbs or further out so yeah chinatown's the place to be really oh, i should do some shopping <laughs> and take it back to canberra with me Absolutely. up on the bus <laughs> back to canberra <laughs> you might be able to get some stuff that you can't get over there too <laughs> yeah and also you got a book called, i do yeah the joyful frugal the jo joyful frugalista here's me stammering over it now the <laughs> joyful frugalista yeah it's very addictive when i started stuttering <laughs> and the book uh, has been out uh for a bit and you've been on tv as well mm, national tv i have so the book came out in february so yeah. it's published by murdoch books and the um uptake on it has been great i've just been it's just so validating you know when you particularly with non-fiction when you're writing about your life and things that are mm. important to you and your values. And then when you hear from people all over the world who just get it, like they resonate and it really, I think, means a lot. Like yeah. there's this process, I think, sometimes of self-doubt, like am I this crazy person because I like to save money and, you know, mm. invest. Um, and when you hear other people go, no, actually that's really helped me through some difficult times and, and show me that there's this sense of resilience you have, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel through this difficult time I'm going through, whether it's a marriage breakup mm. or unhappy job or whatever. And or the that, economy. Is, or the economy. Know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of families, we really suffered through the GFC and mm. some still continue to. That's right. Um, that it's really uh, has been quite helpful. So, And that's been quite amazing. Um, and, yes, the TV, that's been a funny thing. <laughs> You've been on, <laughs> is it Sunrise, so I've been the on morning show? Sunrise, Today Extra, uh, Mums at the Table, uh, Studio 10, and then in oh, and your money live, uh, and then into the mix, the project. So that oh, was a wow. funny one because um, I was at dinner, well, at, at a housewarming basically with with one of my husband Neil's friends, and yeah. it was the week of the book launch. And someone came up to me and said, "Oh yeah, I saw you on TV," and I was kind of like, you know, flicking the head. <laughs> oh yes, of course. You I'm know, a I was now. I was six star now. I was on Sunrise, <laughs> and he said, "Oh no, I saw you on the project." I went. 
hang on, I wasn't on the project. Like, hello, Sunrise, not the project. No, no, the project, he says. And I was like, really? Anyway, so I then went and Googled it and sure enough, <laughs> I was on the project, but not in a good way. They parodied me. Oh, so no. that session where Tommy kind of makes fun of people. <laughs> and that's like the best. <laughs> well, that was me. And let me just say I was not happy, but actually it ended up being quite interesting and transformative so what 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 was the segment that um, Tommy made fun of you (laughs) yeah so we'd filmed something with Sunrise where I was going through a supermarket and talking about all the specials of the week and how you could save money so you know just uh you know me with my shopping cart in a supermarket looking think oh god I need to diet (laughs) 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 but you know anyway we've been you know recording for a couple hours so I was a bit tired and then um Makona coffee was on special so I really wanted to talk about how that was you know half price that was a significant thing Mm. and I was saying and you know you could for instance switch from your daily barista coffees Mm. to instant coffees or you could do what I do and drink tea and you could save hundreds of thousands of dollars by drinking tea I must have had sprinkles on my brain anyway so he made fun of it and sort of went gosh you must drink heaps of coffee and they all had a huge laugh and they was like ha 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 anyway so uh, within the week, once I kind of picked my self-esteem up from the yeah. floor, <laughs> I kind of thought about it a bit more. I kind of went, actually, as a frugalista and someone mm. who writes about personal finance, let's do the sums on this. So I went through and I went, okay, let's assume mm. someone works, I don't know, an average of 42 years in their working life. I mean, I don't really know. It differs, but let's just, for the sake yeah. of argument, say that's when they finish uni and that's they have a professional career and they work till I don't know, 70 or whatever or 65. <laughs> or I can't, even longer these days. Or even longer the, yeah, these days. The system keeps going. Exactly. So I just took a, you know, yeah. made a lot of assumptions. And let's assume that they buy $4 worth of coffee <clears throat> every day. Mm. So and it's, that's just assuming one coffee. That's not two, three, four. That's not a croissant or a muffin or an egg and bacon roll. It's just a coffee. Just a coffee because, you know, usually there's all those things rolling. So let's just assume that and then let's work out over 48 weeks how much you could save. So I did a whole series of things based on just the base savings versus putting in a high interest account Mm. um, versus investing it um, in a a number of different ways. And finally, if you salary sacrificed Mm. that amount into super and assuming that you had a really top performing fund, I worked out that over 42 years, just by not drinking that coffee daily and salary sacrificing it into your super, you could end up with, drum roll. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> on cue. You, on cue, thank you. You could end up with $1.3 million. What? Mm. What about avocado? What if you gave up avocado? Imagine if you gave up wow. avocado toast. So, But the interesting thing about that, from my perspective, was that of that $1.3 million, mm. Your out-of-pocket expenses were only 56000 The rest was all compound interest. Yeah. So it made my point about how little savings. <laughs> Did you send that to Tommy? Regularly. Hey, Tommy, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> I should have, but anyway. <laughs> look, look, you, know, you haven't really made it on TV until you've made it to Rove and getting paid out by Tommy or any of them, really. Oh, yeah, well, I, I'm not in any hurry to go through that kind of um, parroting um, anytime soon. But I do think it's interesting, though, how when you talk about women and mm. finance, people do like to really have a go at you. I think it's women and finance is still one of those areas where there's a lot of vulnerability. Yeah, and people don't really associate women with money yeah, or women with driving either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like how dare women want to have lots of money. For some reason... Let's not throw is... in any ethnicities in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's 
take it to the next level. Let's hope you, let's not talk about women or driving or different ethnic classes that <laughs> or often get chair driving or backing up into a brick wall sometimes. But anyway, I'm not the world's best driver either. Actually, I got a parking ticket recently, and that was terrible for me as a frugalista because I was really worried because I knew there's lots of parking yeah. inspectors, so I made sure I bought the ticket. I was, wasn't going to risk it, and I was really worried about not being between the two lines on either side. And I don't drive this car. Yeah, we've often, often, which we've oh had no. since January. And I was really worried about it. I reparked a few times to make sure left and right, yet we're all in. But what happened was the car in front was quite short, so I was over the line in you front. Didn't... Oh, no. Bang, parking ticket. <gasps> I what, know. In somebody else's. Because I was too far forward. I was oh. in another space. Oh. I know. Oh, well, I know. How much did you get fined for that? $120. Are you kidding me? As Is a frugalist, a I hated that. But I must say oh that really validated the fact that cycling every day to work, which is what I normally do. I had an appointment, so I was driving in late. But cycling to work every day or taking public transport is really, really cost effective. <laughs> Seems to be less risky. You don't have to think about, oh, have I crossed the line too much? Yeah, less risk for bad drivers like me. <laughs> Okay, so we do fit into that uh, category, hey, women and driving. <laughs> well, I think it's a learnt skill. <laughs> <laughs> Just like machine learning, women learning. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> so tell me, when did you start writing? How did it all come about um, mm. going into becoming an author, essentially, and a very well-known one too? Oh, thank you. So probably about a decade ago I decided mm. I wanted to start writing. And it wasn't until I went to Taiwan the second time in uh, 2010 mm. that I decided I would uh, do what a lot of writers do and start a blog. Yeah. So I had a blog called Taiwan Shifu. Which so means? Taiwan daughter-in-law. Yeah. So my ex-husband is Taiwanese and oh. I was in Taiwan for my work. And so you're like one of those unicorns, hey, that married an Asian man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, there are some of us around and my children are Eurasian children, so they're Taiwanese-Australian. Unfortunately, they don't speak Chinese very well. My eldest was fluent when we left Taiwan and now... If he speaks Chinese at all, it's with an appalling Asian accent. Look, it's just look, languages and his strength, and it's fine. I, I feel and I and I have empathy for your child because uh, my Chinese is terrible as well. well <laughs> when I speak it, I have a bit of an Australian accent, a twang to it. Well, I should add for our listeners: just before we recorded this, we went downstairs and ordered um, some um, bubble milk tea because I felt like some pearl milk tea um, and tea. That's right, because we were talking about tea. Exactly, and I sort of forgot Madam Chan doesn't speak <laughs> Chinese. Well, does speak some, but it's not that confident. It's, so then yeah. I'm sort of, because I haven't had, you know, this, you know, gentle night char for a while. And so I was sort of, you know, querying, you know, what kind of tea, you know, can I have oolong? And she's like, oh, woman, you're hong cha, woman. This is hong cha, li mian hai yo, oolong hai yo, and so So I was having this good chat with her about what type of tea and how much sugar and blah, blah, Let blah, blah. Let me translate blah, blah. for our Western listeners. So what Serena just says, like, oh, should I have oolong tea in there or what's a, what other tea am I going to have Yeah, in there? the normal kind of normal black, tea, black tea, blah, 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 That's blah. Right. So going through and how much sugar, you know, what percentage of sugar. So mm. having this because you've always got to have that conversation. It's never a simple process to order. And it was pretty tea. amazing. Serena did it all in Mandarin. You know, that's just normal. <laughs> and then I sort of turned to Madam Chan and go, what are you having? And then expecting her to do the same. And she's like, oh, yeah, number three, please. <laughs> It was great. <laughs> we did completely the opposite. So we got a white chick speaking in Chinese and there's yellow chick speaking in like Bogan Australian. <laughs> but it just happens, I think. And the weird thing is actually when I lived in Taiwan, because um, I was living and working in the same suburb, mm. so I'd walk to work every day or cycle. And 
the amount of times people stopped in Chinese mm. and asked me directions. Now, I'm a fairly friendly person and I was living there, so I guess I was local and I usually knew where places were, but I'll sort of be looking around going, you know, dude, like, have you not noticed what I look like? I'm the short you know, Caucasian-looking woman, um, sure, I understand you in Mandarin and that's fine and I can answer and I can tell you where you're going, but, like, why don't you ask, why did you ask me and not that person over there? It was really I, and, weird. And there were, like, hundreds of people around me that yeah. you could have asked. And, and so many other Laowai or foreigners, yeah. I know, say they have the opposite experience, that they feel like even when they speak Chinese fluently, no one believes them. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, I sort of had the opposite experience and I don't know why. Like, I, you know, I was wearing clothes I bought in Australia. There was nothing really yeah. to mark me out as being. Maybe you just had a really friendly face compared to Maybe. everyone else around you. Like, she looks like she could be really helpful. She looks like a tour guide? A I tour don't guide. know. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of those, uh, you know, multilingual tour guide. <laughs> rather go to her than some, you know, other local who's just going to ignore me anyway. Well, it was flattering and, you know, I usually knew the answer, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you have the answer for shopping? Shopping. Shopping, like how to reduce my cost. How to reduce your cost. So, Madam Chan, <laughs> um, so the big news on shopping is if you don't need it, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Yeah, I try. I try. I, I've been trying really hard. Because the best way, yeah. the best way to save money is not to spend money. And so this was particularly on my mm. mind over this last weekend because um, there's been all these November sales. So yeah. um, it's been interesting to see this phenomenon. Like I think it started in China mm. with the single days uh, of 11th oh, of right. November. Yes, which is Remembrance Day for the Western world. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, sort of Alibaba and mm. every, this sort of big singles online shopping and mm. now in the US they do it now with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yes. Which is huge. And Amazon's got its own Amazon Prime Day earlier in the year. And so, you know, I was primed to look at this because there were certain things that I wanted. And so Hubby and I went through and we went, well, what do we want and what's on sale? Mm. So we wanted airfares and unfortunately there were great airfares but not for the dates we went okay. wanted. And I went, fine. I got business cards because I wanted those. And then we're like, well, how, what? how cheap were they? Like what kind of discount were they offering? Um, they were quite considerable. They were up to 50% off, I think, mm. or 50 to 60% off. So they are quite good. Okay. And, um, and the way they work too, it's like uh, the main site for this particular sale was called Click Frenzy, although mm. there's more happening um, with other sales with the Black Friday yeah. and Cyber Monday. So you go through Click Frenzy and they'll say they've got all these deals, blah, 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 blah. So, and they've got whatever percent off mm -hmm. with a number of main um, merchandisers and retailers that you'd probably buy from anyway. And then you can also link to their official partner, which is Shopback, mm -hmm. which is a Singaporean-based company, or an Australian company called Cash Rewards, mm -hmm. and then you get additional cash back as well. So it's kind of this multiplying effect. Okay. So, you know, for instance, um, so I was looking for, you know, Vistaprint. Vistaprint was on significant mm -hmm. sale with Click Frenzy, then plus mm -hmm. I got cash back as well from Shopback. So if yeah. you are really strategic about shopping at the right times mm. during these particular online sales and using all these add-ons such mm. as uh, Shopback and Cash Rewards, it can be really advantageous. But like I said, it only works if it's things you need. Yeah. If you don't need stuff, if you don't need those new clothes, if you don't need those new shoes, it's not a saving. But if you are like, I have particular things that I want, uh, we bought some really good uh, podcasting gear a couple of months ago during the Amazon Prime and we knew we wanted it. Mm. So we held off until these sales so, yeah. then we bought it and it was really good oh you have a lot of restraint people there are people <laughs> like me who just can't hold back <laughs> and so and so why this is an interesting psychological thing yeah so why do you like shopping so much 
Well, when it comes to food, if I have an empty stomach, and I think that's probably the worst time to go shopping it for is. food, because I've tried your fifty dollar budget per week, and I think I failed miserably uh, for majority of the time. But there was one week where I was under fifty dollars. Wow! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I gave myself a big pat on the back. <laughs> so I should um, explain with that. I did that challenge for a year between I think it was 2016 and 2017. Mm. And then Neil and my two boys and I have done it um, for about six months earlier this year. And we're having a little bit of a break at the moment, but Neil's about to go, my husband's about to go overseas mm. for a couple of months. So I'm going to go back on it while he's gone. Um, and a big reason that I do this is just to have a bit of a, a fridge and cupboard clean out. Like, you know, when you've just yeah. got too much stuff, it's just oh, hoard. Like, I end up hoarding. I hoarding. so much lentil, rice, yeah. couscous, different types of couscous. Did I tell you my frugal fail story about rice? Uh, no, you haven't told me your story about rice. My frugal, That's a fail. My frugal <laughs> fail story about rice. So, you know, like I used to have a Taiwanese husband. We used to eat a lot of um, Asian food, right? And so, rice, and right? Rice. Because so, uh, Asians eat a lot of rice. <laughs> exactly. So um, Taiwanese, they're a bit like Japanese. They like the medium grain rice yeah. and it's quite expensive. And so when it's on special, I would always buy the big 10 kilogram bags, like not the one or two mm. or five, the 10 kilogram bags, right? All out. out. So Woolies had this um, sale. They had something with Groupon and Groupon was on sale as well. Mm. And so you paid, I think, $5 Mm. and you got a voucher worth $20 to, or you got $20 to spend. And I'm like, that's fantastic. And they mm. said, oh, there's a minimum five. And I went, great, I'm going to buy all five. What rice? I didn't read was <laughs> the fine print was that you had to spend $220. Oh. And so there I am with all of these um, vouchers and it was just before our wedding so I was buying some food for the wedding so that was fine but I was like what am I going to spend this money on and then I looked and rice was half price and I was like you beauty <laughs> so I bought 60 kilograms of rice <laughs> 60 like not 10 60 <laughs> that's a lot of rice for a white woman you know <laughs> that is a lot of rice and funnily enough our diet's changed now we're not eat, we do still eat a lot of rice but not every night anymore yeah. and so this was over a year ago, so probably, I don't know, uh, not quite 18 months ago, mm. and we've still got about 45 kilograms of <laughs> rice there. It's all stored above our cupboards. And oh it's a, a long-standing joke because <laughs> hubby will go, do you need anything from the shops? Like, do we have enough rice? <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to starve? <laughs> Are we going to starve? So, yeah, so sometimes I do have my frugal fail moments as well. So, you know, if I ever, if I ever run out of rice, I'll just knock on your door like, Serena, can I borrow some rice? Instead of, you know, the Western contest, like, you know, going to your neighbor's house, go, can I borrow some sugar? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I've got plenty of rice. <laughs> Actually, that's something I don't have in my cupboard. <laughs> I may just have to borrow like a, a whole, whole packet of it. 10 kilos was it? Or 10, 10 kilos. 10 kilos. Yeah. Wow. But I bought six of those. Yeah. And they expand quite a bit in water as well, right? Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> I think it's more, just a little bit more than double. Double it. Yeah. So you were mentioning that you were in Taiwan mm. um, first time and second time. Mm. Um, so being in Taiwan would have influenced you quite a bit in terms of uh, culture, I guess. It or, did. Or shift in um, spending. 
Um, both, really. Yeah. So the first time I went over as a student, um, so and actually I'd lived in um, Beijing before that. I'd been a student in Beijing yeah. um, and then I've lived twice in Taiwan. So oh, wow. the first time as a student um, in southern Taiwan, actually, in a city called Tainan, which is mm-hmm. really famous for its shao chi or its snack food. Yeah. Um, and I lived with a Taiwanese family when I was there. So they <laughs> the were best experience. Best experience. So they were friends, uh, parents of a good friend of mine. Mm. And when I told her I was going to Tainan, she said, that's it. You're living with my mum and dad. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't know, this is a bit weird, but, you know, maybe I'll just go there and rent somewhere. But they were an older couple and all their children were studying in Australia and they were really lonely and they really just welcomed me and they just treated me like... One of their own? Yeah, child. they did. Yeah. They did and it was great. Um, and I just started dating someone I met in Australia who was Taiwanese mm. who later became my husband mm. and while we're not together anymore he's still the father of my children yeah. um, and so she just decided to take me under her wing and make me into a good Taiwan shifu or Taiwanese <laughs> daughter-in-law um, so really just taught me how to behave okay. in that culture. So what are some of the differences that you noticed um, being on the wing of a, a Taiwanese woman who was well in Taiwanese culture. (laughs) Oh, there were a lot of different things. So um, she got particular about me going out and that was interesting. So Mm. um, I think one night after university, there was a group of students. uh, There was another guy from Australia at my university. He had a Taiwanese girlfriend. So like Mm. we weren't an item or anything and this group of Taiwanese friends and she really did not want me to go out. So that was really interesting. Um, Yeah, I know. She was a bit Don't go out. Don't go out. It's late at night. Beyond 10pm. You've got a boyfriend. What are you doing? Go out with this other guy and I was like you've met him <laughs> she's like really and I was like and you've met his girlfriend oh yeah you know a man <laughs> and a woman sometimes can be just friends it's yeah. quite possible yeah exactly and then another time a friend of my ex-husband's who was from that town mm. um he was trying to ring me and apparently he'd been ringing me for weeks and she never passed on any of the messages <laughs> and one day I was sitting next to her and I got this phone call and she passed me the phone and she answered the phone and way way hello hello yeah. who's this and she passed me the phone she gave me this blackest look <laughs> And I was like, who's on the phone? And she said to me in Chinese, which is like, I don't know. Like, you know, how dare you? And this guy's like, I've been trying to call you for weeks. Like, you know, aren't you getting any of my messages? And so she, I think, thought he was a new boyfriend. And he wasn't. (laughs) He was just a friend of my boyfriend's, a university friend, who'd been sort of sent to keep an eye on me. Yeah. I make sure I was okay. So those were some of the immediate differences. Um, but I think longer term, you know, the concept of family, uh, xiao shun, filial mm. piety, you know, yeah. how families come together yeah. was really interesting. And this family was in a southern Taiwanese style quite mm. religiously devout, um, as in uh, New Age fundamental Buddhist devout. Um, so they belonged to this temple where um, the monk would sort of go into a trance and had the gift of prophecy. Oh, I know. And initially pretty... I was like, ha, 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 I'm a Western woman. I don't oh. believe in this. Like this is just so crazy. But you know what? He had a really, really good record at being right. (laughs) So what were some of the things that he was right about? Well, when I was leaving there in 1998, Mm. they said, oh, the Shifu is preparing for a big earthquake. It's going to be in the centre of Taiwan and it's going to be really, really big. And so we need to do all this pilgrimage Mm. and additional stuff. Okay. So a year later, bang. 
you know, 1999, huge earthquake. Wow. And when I was there, they said, oh, Schiffel said there's going to be some plane crashes and we, I don't want anyone to be on a plane. Within 12 months, there were like three plane crashes. Which is a lot more than the usual, which has been, the record was like one um, Well, year, they were pretty bad. So there was yeah. one China airline one, which I think went into an apartment building on the runway oh. in Taipei. There was a, a fighter jet that went down. And I think there was another China Airlines one over somewhere in Southeast Asia, but they were bad. Yeah. They were really bad. And I and was prior like, to those years, there weren't any incidents at all. Not like that, no, wow. no. Three, that's pretty. And the three, so I was like, okay, right. So now I'm like, <laughs> he knows a lot. This guy, exactly. So suspend my, you know, Western mm. lens, mm. know-it-all scientific lens mm. about this. I sort of went, okay, I'm not going to pretend like I know yeah. everything here because, um, you know, clearly there's been a few things that they've said are going to happen and they have happened. So yeah. there's maybe things that I don't fully understand about the nature of spirituality and the gift of prophecy. So I'm just going to suspend my disbelief here <laughs> and just run with it. Um, and I guess, you know, a lot of things that happen in, in southern Taiwan are a bit like that, the way they do their ancestor worship. They have, mm. you know, big altar in most people's homes and yeah. they regularly will light incense on those days and, you know, all all the businesses mm. in throughout Taiwan, but especially in southern Taiwan, I think it's the 16th day of the lunar month, they'll have this big incense offering outside mm. and they'll um, have offerings for success of their business. Okay. Um, yeah. On the 1st and the 15th of every month, um, most people eat vegetarian food to mark those sorts of things. And then Ghost, Ghost Month, which is the 8th lunar month, is yeah. really very significant. Um, there's lots of things, lots of temple things that happen and there's, you're not meant to go swimming during that month, you're not meant to travel during that month, you're not allowed to get married during that month. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Mm. <laughs> but actually, when you think about it, there were some reasons for those things. Mm. So usually in the eighth lunar month, it's right in the middle of summer. Oh, over in the northern hemisphere, In the yes. northern hemisphere. And you would think, well, wouldn't you want to go swimming at that time? But that's often the time of year where there's typhoons mm. and there's, you know, rain in the mountains. And so that's the sort of time when, you know, a river might become over flooded yes. very suddenly and there was probably lots of drownings and deaths. So they just sort of said, okay... Ghost month, mm. no one swims. So, like, there's a reason for these things mm. when you understand how they're situated. But they add a little bit of spirituality and uh, supernatural yeah. forces behind it. Exactly. As well. And sometimes there's deeper things you don't mm. always understand that connection to land and the connection to culture and the connection to ancestors. Yeah, the so, sixth sense and things mm. like that. Did he ever tap you on the shoulder and say anything in particular to you about your future? Um, my shuffle, yeah. the shuffle to me. Um, yeah, various bits and pieces. Mm. Um, I don't think there's anything too startling. I think he said some things to my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> Treat but, her you well. Know, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, bits and pieces and so forth. Um, okay. Yeah, so, but just, you know, things to be aware of with my, my life and so forth. But probably the biggest thing my former homestay family, particularly mm. my homestay mother, instilled in me was this idea of sitting the month, uh, this oh, post okay. uh baby confinement yes so at that stage when I lived with them I was 24 25 that's when you had your first child no I wasn't even pregnant then I didn't have my um, first child till I was 31 so I wasn't even married wasn't okay. close to being married i um, still quite you know not uh, dating my ex-husband mm -hmm. but we weren't married or anything mm. and so then she sort of went on well you know when you have a child you have to do this confinement and it's really really important and blah 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 it's the first time I'd heard about this concept and I must say being in that kind of situation where I felt steeped in this history of mm. this southern 
Taiwanese, Taiwanese yeah. culture, it sounded really odd, like something kind of. But yet you were so curious. Like, this was is so something curious. New. Yeah, you know, something deep and dark and spiritual. Secret yeah. women's business. <laughs> I know it was really strange and so I didn't do confinement for my first child Mm. because I gave birth to him in Canberra and he was premature so he came two months early and we weren't able to really be prepared yeah um and it wasn't really possible because I was going to and from the hospital but my second baby I had while I was on posting Mm. to Taiwan so Mm. it was the second time I lived in Taiwan from 2010 to 2014 and the second, my second baby was born during a very prosperous, very, um, uh, what's the term, uh, a very lucky year. Yeah. So he was born during a dragon year. Wow. And in fact, born during a drag, a, a golden dragon year. Golden dragon year. Would that be in 2008? No, he was born in 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah, Long Nian. Mm, yeah. And so everyone in Taiwan seemed to be having babies that year. And a lot, <laughs> there'd been a lot of weddings the year before yeah. in preparation for gearing up to have a baby for that year. Do you know what's really funny? Because you know how in the West they're like, oh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight has really sparked up pregnancy rates. Whereas really? In, yeah, there have been some reports <laughs> about that, that people watching all, all those movies or reading those books. But then in Asia it's like, oh, it's a year of the dragon. Everyone, you must start, you know, conceiving from, from the year before. Exactly. Get married the year before. Start practising now, but you don't want to be too early. That's right, because you need to fall into the year of the dragon. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's the year before the tiger, you know, no one's a baby the year before, but you want you want the, the yeah. dragon baby. That's right. I, mean, I didn't plan to have a dra- dragon baby. It just happened. But it was actually quite hard to, you know, get into the right hospital mm. and do various things. And my ex-husband, before I even, you know, thought about confinement, he already went through his networks and found a nanny. So he went to the local playground, oh, met someone, and he went, I've blocked her in because it's, do. <laughs> it's a golden dragon year and, like, everything's booked out, like all the confinement centres, like these luxury hotels women go into after birth, like wow. they were all booked out. You wow. can't get anywhere else, so I've got this nanny and so you're going to do confinement. So... Explain to me this confinement. Like, is, is it to do with food? Is it to do with, like, a daily ritual? And how long does it last for? Yeah, all of those things. Yeah. And so it can last uh, a minimum of 30 days, up to 45 days. Mm-hmm. After 30 days, they celebrate Man Yue, or mm-hmm. the um, full, full month yeah. for a baby. But in that first month, the baby's not supposed to go out and neither is mm. the woman. So there is a number of foods that are culturally significant that actually have been shown scientifically to mm. also have lactogenic properties, that is, that they help the breast milk. Such and as they, a pig trotter? Such as the pig trotter. So the pig trotters <laughs> with the peanuts are interesting too because mm. they also contain a lot of collagen, which is very good for oh, restoration. Yeah, so your for your skin and yes. for your longevity. Yes. But as your body's rebuilding after childbirth because mm. you lose a lot of blood during mm. childbirth and also a lot of hormonal changes mm. a lot of the diet is really about being very bull like very yeah. very nutritious and yeah. building up a woman's strength um so it was interesting i, I mean the first thing i was asked by my zoyeza i.e yeah. or nanny is do you like offal 
And you're like, that just sounds awful. I was like, oh, in moderation, I don't know. Um, but, yes, in the second week particularly, so the first week is about um, bullshit, about um, helping replenish the yeah, blood. That's right. So the second week is about your um, liver energy. Mm. So you eat a lot of liver during that yeah. week. Your third week is about your kidney energy. So you have a lot of kid, um, kidney mm. food um, or food with kidneys. Not not all the time, but yeah. usually maybe a soup once a day. Um, and then the final week is about longevity. So mm. that's when you have more foods with collagen and so forth in them. Yeah. And the famous dish in Taiwan is, is, isn't so much the pig trotters. Mm-hmm. They do have that as well. Mm. In Hong Kong, a pig trotter dish made with sweet vinegar yeah. is really popular yeah. with hard-boiled eggs with their shells in them. Mm. But in Taiwan, it's about sesame chicken. So there's particular oh. um, chicken that's made with a whole uh, bottle of Taiwanese um, rice wine. <laughs> so you can finally get drunk after nine months of pregnancy. <laughs> no, they boil it all so the alcohol all goes out. Um, but lots and lots of sesame oil and yeah. ginger and chicken and rice wine. And that's yeah. um, very warming for your mm. body. Um, and so as your body is quite cool yeah. after you've gone after childbirth, all of the, the practices are to do with warming you yeah. up. And in terms of the daily ritual, the main thing is to tan ping mm. or to lie flat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a Western culture we're a bit like, oh, you know, I've given birth a couple of hours ago, I'll go home and I'll go yeah. shopping and I'll do this yeah. and I'll do that. They're like, no, no, as far as possible, lay flat mm. and don't do any exercise as yeah. far as possible for the first month. A number of the centres, the Zoyue, the Zhongxin, yeah. the confinement centres mm. are now modifying that for some mm. very, very light, low-impact exercises. Yeah. But they recognise now that because of the hormonal changes in women's body where a lot of um, the bones have kind of had to be inflexible mm. to give birth, yeah. that as that your you know bones move back together, your organs move back into place, it's not the time to be, you know, jogging up and down, doing mm. long-distance running. Yeah. It's best to have really gentle things, for, particularly for that first month or yeah. two while everything sort of goes back into place and heals and then, you know, you can go forward with strength. And you know what? What? After. What are you asking about you to tell me now? <laughs> After a month of this, I emerged 13 kilograms lighter than pre-baby. Now, admittedly, I did have a very big baby who was four kilograms. Okay. But all the extra padding you would have had to... There was a lot on. of extra padding. Yeah. <laughs> I ate a lot during that pregnancy. I put on 20 kilograms. Um, but, yeah, so I was really surprised, I must say. Okay. So That's, that's strange. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the food that they serve during this confinement period helps you digest and it just maybe washes... Maybe it's also flat, uh, fat cleansing. You know what it is? What is it? Makes you sweat. Oh. Yeah, oh, so okay. a number of the Chinese herbal concoctions oh. deliberately make you sweat. Oh. Now, I thought it was just me because, you know, like you often do get these night mm. sweats. It's quite common. Yeah. Anyway, I had this um, Singaporean friend in yeah. Taiwan and he said, oh, you know, my sister had a baby and mum made her this soup and, you know, there's this traditional um, yeah. Tongue, this um, spare rib soup with all these Chinese herbs in it, black. And he said, It's really nice. And he said, It was in the fridge. And I went, Yum. So I drank it all. He said, The next thing, I got the sweat. So I had like (laughs) sweat pouring out of me. And I said, Don't drink that. That's a special confinement soup. And he's like, And I lost five kilos. I don't know how I did it. Um, yeah so anyway so that was that experience and you know I went in as a skeptic and came out 13 kilos lighter you're like wow this works wonder and having beautiful skin of course um I guess so yeah (laughs) (laughs) what's the secret to the longevity right and you know Asian vampire genes 
Yeah. Or like collagen. Well, mm. yeah, I don't have Asian vampire genes. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think you look pretty young. <laughs> yeah. So there's another thing that you mentioned to me um, that when you were in Taiwan, you get to experience living uh, with the mother-in-law. My mother-in-law? Yes, your mother-in-law. Well, not really. So okay. she's based in Brisbane, but she did come oh, and stay right. for a little bit. Yeah. Yes. So did you uh, – how, how is it like being inter, uh, inter – cultural relationship did you guys um have to sort out some uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't the easiest of relationships in a a lot of ways and it was interesting because probably in my last year that I was there like every year on Mother's Day um for Guanshan which Mm. is a big uh Buddhist Light International Association Mm -hmm. which is a big Buddhist organization globally which is based in Taiwan they had this big Mother's Day thing now through my work I was invited to go so I contacted the organisers and I said, look, my mother-in-law's visiting mm. and she goes to your Zhongtian Si, your Zhongtian Temple mm. in Brisbane yeah. and she would really love to come as well. Is that okay? And they went, oh, okay. And that was fine. And then about a week later I get all these flurry of emails going, wow, you know, that's just so amazing that you're bringing your mother-in-law along. And I was thinking, yeah, because she's Buddhist and she goes to this particular order and she's always wanted to go to this and it's Mother's Day and she's here in Taiwan, no problem. And they're like, that's so rare. Because you're a daughter-in-law and I talk to my mother-in-law and they're like, can we we have you on TV? (laughs) And I was like... Really? And they're like, yeah, because that like never happens. And so my mother-in-law was pleased as part. She had this former mother-in-law, huge, big grin on her face. And I was like saying, oh, yeah, ma and shinko, you know, uh, my, you know, mother, mother-in-law, she works so hard and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Oh, they just loved it. It was just crazy. So that really made me think that there were a few cultural things that perhaps I had kind of missed. And I think the big thing that I just found that I kind of wish I'd known earlier was that the sort of things you tell your mother-in-law, the sort of relationship is so different in an Australian context. Mm. Like I'd had a lot of uh, slightly older friends through service clubs mm. and just because I'm friendly, I've got, you know, lots of friends who are a bit older. I mean, I'm People not... Strangers come to you for directions. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not, age, I'm not ageist, so I have older <laughs> friends, I have younger friends, friends the same age. Like, you know, it doesn't, doesn't worry me. But I'm always fairly open. Yeah. And so, you know, like um, if she'd come over for dinner or something, you know, I'd make her a cup of tea and say, well, you know, why don't you sit down, I'll mm. make you a cup of tea or make this, I've been, you know, cooking this or cooking Perfect that or whatever. daughter-in-law. Wow. Um, but she'd sort of be looking and going, oh. And then we'd sit down and we'd chat. And mm. later on, my Taiwanese friends went, you don't talk to your mother-in-law. And I went, what? And they said, you don't tell her you've been busy at work or you've had problems with this or problems with that. You just don't talk to her. And I went, huh? Like, because I'm trying to be, you know, show my vulnerability, yeah. you know, you know, talk connect about connect, show that, you know, my life's not perfect as a working it's mother a with kids. It's a very Western thing to do. And sure enough, they were right because they would go, huh, you're so busy with work. You're not looking after my grandchildren properly. It was really bizarre. And so then it wasn't really until it was too late, until the marriage was going downhill, that I realised that I had done this all wrong. So what I should have been doing is... Everything's fine. (laughs) Fussing, like, you know, like almost having a dual life. Like when mother-in-law comes over, you cook her special foods and pretend like you eat like that every night and, Mm. and... hire a professional cleaner, have the house stage managed so it's all beautiful and perfect. All staged. All yeah. staged. Don't really talk about anything as substance. Just, yeah. just say, agree with everything and then when she when she leaves, shut have the door. 
and do everything completely differently. Now, to me, I'm not used to that. Yeah. But I think that's just, I think, how a lot of families function. Mm. And I just didn't realise that because I'm an Australian woman who's Mm. quite... Um, outgoing. Yes. And so I didn't understand that. And the money values were very different too. And that was, you know, something I always struggled with yeah, as a frugalista. Yeah, the, the way that Chinese uh, people would see money versus the Western way. So yeah. was she uh, was she very frugal? Um, she was um, quite frugal herself. But, you know, mm. my, my blog before it was The Joyful Frugalista mm. used to be called Miss Frugal Is. Mm. And that came about because my former mother-in-law used to look at me and say, Xiaojie, which means, <laughs> um, well, Miss, your ears are very frugal. What which a witch. wasn't particularly Xiaoqi mm. is is not as nice as the Chinese term jiejian, which is yeah. really, you know, it's kind of saying scroogey versus yeah. thrifty. Yeah. They're not quite. It's not, it's not a positive connotation it's for being It's not a positive, no. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just one, it was always one of these things. But that said, in Taiwanese culture mm. particularly, they do really value mm. um, n- not wasting things. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things I really loved about Taiwanese culture, the fact that, you know, they embraced a lot of these Buddhist ideas of non-attachment. Mm. I mean, a lot of Taiwanese are great business people and they invest really wisely and they talk about money and they talk about investing, but it's not all about the money. Mm. It's actually about, you know, not wasting lots of food, for instance, and not buying more than you need. And it's, it's quite different. Um, it's about just, you know, living the, the existence that you need as opposed yeah. to going over the top. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of mm. my writing in The Joyful Frugalista mm. was in inspired by my time in Taiwan and there's references to Taiwan throughout the book. Yeah. Um, but particularly um, by another Buddhist order, which is Ji, mm-hmm. um, which is quite an interesting order because it's founded by a Buddhist nun, mm-hmm. so in the Taiwanese city of Hualien, and it's now gone on to be one of the largest humanitarian organisations in the world. So they do have some chapters in Australia, although yeah. they're not so active here. They often are after um, things like bushfires or floods. Yeah. They're more active in Queensland where there's more of a Taiwanese population. Okay, that's good. But they're very active in mainland China and they're yeah. very active in countries that Taiwan still has a yeah. presence in. Helping the community out when the disaster strikes or um, I'm, guess, I'm guessing they also, do they take in people who are in need as well? Or? Um, they do, but where they um, tend to do a lot of work mm. is say, for instance, if there's been an earthquake or a tsunami mm. or something like that, um, they'll go in afterwards and they'll help a whole community rebuild. After those 1999 yeah. earthquakes, they, you know, were tremendously mm. instrumental in terms of a lot of the community rebuilding efforts. And they were probably prepared because Shifu would have told them. <laughs> <laughs> Different religion. That's oh, um, okay. this. Yeah, they. <laughs> no, I can't think of the prophecy with this one. They're a bit more. No, this is more straight down the line, kind of you know, old-fashioned Buddhism about you know meditation and good works and eating vegetarian food. With this one, um, so but yes, yeah, so I think a lot of those values too about mm. seeing that community and doing good things in the world are a lot more important necessarily than having lots of stuff. Stuff, yeah, yeah wasting been, all that stuff. Exactly, yeah. and I think Buddhism has always been a lot better with recognizing that environmental imperative mm. than other religions, like they really have seen that stuff is not the way to happiness yeah. i know being frivolous is 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 you know, it, you know it, it, people can be whatever they want and how they want to spend their money but you know being frugal it doesn't mean you're being cheap it just means you, you're t- taking a conscious effort to make sure that every 
uh, you know, effort that you're making or money that you're spending is going towards something that you actually need as opposed yeah. to what, 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 want. I think it's about using your resources mm. wisely. Like in a Christian context, they talk about good stewardship. Mm. So having a good using your money in a responsible mm. and wise way. So, you know, it's not saying you can't buy a new dress yeah. or you can't go on a holiday or you can't do stuff, but it's just saying, well, really, you know, like how do I value and respect my money and mm. how do I use it in a respectful way? way. Yeah. So, and I think, unfortunately, I mean, Western society isn't perfect mm. and I don't want to get into it. Is East best <laughs> or is West best because... It's always, you know, the the grass is always greener. Yeah. Or, you know, so they say in Taiwan and China, you know, why go to Yuliang Bijada? You know, the moon in the west is always. <laughs> I'm a bit I guess Shifang, Shifang, Yuliang Bijada. So, and, and I don't think things are ever that straightforward yeah. um, often. But, you know, having that, that concept of understanding that it's not just about the money that's mm. going to bring you happiness is a good starting point. Definitely. And the happiness of your children, how, how, how did they um, grow up uh, living in half a world in, with a Taiwanese mm. culture and then half the world with an Australian culture? Were yeah. there any difficulties? Or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> or not that stories? easy. So I'm now co-parenting um, mm. with their father who's remarried. Uh, his wife is from Taiwan. Okay. And in our house, they don't eat it so often anymore, um, despite the fact I'm still getting through my 60 kilograms of rice. <laughs> And um, my new husband, although it's weirdly because I always thought I would, if I remarried, I'd marry someone Asian. And I did actually, I must say, consciously look yeah. for Asian guys in dating profiles and there weren't that many Asian guys. <laughs> and I'm saying this because I know there's this whole movement before I talk about how wonderful my current husband Neil is. But, there, you know, it's this whole movement of saying, oh, Western women don't dig Asian guys and stuff. Like I was there looking for Asian guys. Way before this movement right now with Henry Golding now being yeah. the pinup boy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think half the problem too is because I spoke fluent Chinese and mm. I had been in the culture for so long, like a lot of the people I would meet would might be second or third generation Chinese or, or from Hong Kong mm. or Taiwan or other um, Chinese communities. And they really wanted to identify as Australian. So mm. someone, you know, who spoke Chinese and really dug that kind of Asian culture wasn't necessarily something they were looking for either. Yeah. So it's just kind of... Yeah, it just didn't happen. So um, my husband, Neil, now he um, was born in Queanbeyan, which is yeah. kind of a suburb of, of Canberra. It's in New South Wales. It's in New South Wales. <laughs> it's in New South Wales. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the working class suburb of Queens, of Canberra, I guess, and used to have a sheep farm and, you know, he's about as Aussie as, as you get. get. Yeah. Pretty much you've met him. He's a bit of a bogan. Oh, I mean that in a nice way. I grew up with this. a pack of farm boys and girls. Yeah, exactly. So for me, that's just... Normal. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, in their Taiwanese house, they have a very Taiwanese kind of mm. um, experience. And, in fact, uh, a couple of months ago they went to visit Ama and Google, their mm. grandma and their aunt in Brisbane. Yeah. And Google went, great, you have a timetable every day. And oh I went, what, God. she's making you do your multiplication tables? And they went, no, no, we had every day laid out, you must get up at this time, you must have breakfast at this time, you must sit down and do your maths and your exercise book, you must do your PT, <laughs> you must do this and you must do this every day to get ahead. And, um, you know, and then um, my eldest has just had his birthday and Google sent him an exercise book with more lessons and more <laughs> exercises and things to do. Like drill learning. Drill Absolutely. learning. You need to be top of your class. You need to try harder, like real tiger mum stuff. Yeah. Whereas with us, we're like pretty relaxed. Like I take him out to my in-law's place 
place they've got acreage and you know yeah. they feed the chickens of the morning and feed the horses and run around with a footy wow. um play league and there, it is a clash mm. of cultures here because for me I see it the biggest gift I can give my children is one of knowing that they're loved and mm. to build them up with resilience so that they can feel that they can do whatever they want with mm. their lives because I think in this generation you can just Type any question into Google. If you want to learn something, yeah. you can learn it. That's right. Really. So the lessons are about persistence and self-belief. But for my Chinese in-laws, they'd look at me and they go, oh, you're so lazy. Mm. <laughs> you're not taking care of the children. You're not taking care yes. of them. Everything should be whaler hides yeah. for the children. Like if you go to That's a park, right. you should be, you know, carrying them on this and walking them up this. Yeah. I'm like, no, just let them run. Like if they fall over, they'll get up. If they'll, they need me, they'll yell for me because if I'm always doing it for them, mm. they're never going to learn themselves Like because they need to learn their muscle strength and they mm. need to have that confidence because if they say, I can't do it, and I say, oh, don't worry, I'll do it for you. Like that is the worst thing you can do for their confidence. Mm. I want them to learn. Um, so there's, you know, that's kind of my philosophy. But from their Taiwanese style, it's all about, you know, reflecting the mm. intense competition I think my ex-husband yeah. grew up with. And was he the and only child as well? No, but he was the eldest. Eldest, okay. But, you know, you must get really good marks early yeah. on and you must try really hard and try harder and harder and yeah. harder. And I can't give you too much praise because if I do, you'll stop. Yeah. And so... Tough love. Tough love. Mm. And so they're getting that kind of message. And I understand why that's happening. Mm. Because my kids are in Australia, they don't quite understand that. But I do think in general a lot of Asian children are a little bit better with that persistence. Mm. Um, you know, this genera younger generation, they're, they're a bit marshmallowy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they haven't lived through any um, <laughs> difficulties so, in life. Well, you know, and I say or, that as a parent, you know, I think because I probably do too much for my kids anyway, despite my, <laughs> my talk about resilience. Um um, and confidence building. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, Asian parents are really like, you must do more. You just ask more. And I, I don't know which is best, to be honest. But yeah, I hard. think it's, it's a mix. Yeah. But like as an example, my kids do martial arts and I'm a bit like, well, I'll take you there and you can run around and if mm. you choose to do martial arts, well, you know, that's your path in life. Um, you know, it's your choice. Whereas yeah. their dad's like, you're about to do grading. You must you must practice. You must practice really hard. And we're <laughs> going to do it now. You're going to do your carter and you're going to do it again and again until you get it right. And, and there'll be punishment, right, if you don't do it right? Um, or, well, yeah, yeah you yeah. really got to do it right. Yeah. And, you know, and then if you do it right, I'll give you money. Ah, there'll be a, a whole bar. There'll be a money yeah. and red it's either reward the or punishment. It's one yeah. Or the other. yeah. Whereas I'm a bit like, oh, how do you feel? Do you feel like you want to do that? <laughs> um, you know, and and I laugh at that, but my eldest was so nervous and yeah. worried about doing his glass grading that mm. he couldn't go to sleep at night and he was having stomach pains wow. and he was in tears. Total anxiety. Yeah, total anxiety. Yeah. Um, so I really had to sort of say, well, really, like, you know, how do you feel about this? And, you know, spoke to his sensei and his sensei said he's doing fine, like he's going to be okay. Just a lot of pressure. Just a lot of pressure. Yeah. So then we sort of spoke to him and said, look, I would like to encourage you to do this. It's mm. your choice. But, mm. you know, I'm going to take you there on the day. We're going to be prepared and I want you to do your best. And actually, as it turned out, he actually stuffed up his carter on the day, but he knew he'd done it wrong. Okay. And then he stopped and he redid it. Good. And so then he was worried because he thought, you know, from the Taiwanese style, you didn't do it perfectly, I'm going to get in trouble. So he's yeah. worried about that. Um, and there's a little bit of that. But from the Australian side, we said, yeah. well done for resilience because you kept going. Yeah, that's you right. You kept going and that's more important as far as we're concerned. Than, than quitting. Than yeah. quitting and the end result. That's right. So they're different philosophies, I think. Does it confuse your children? Um, I think it does a little bit yeah. and I think the money values are confusing as well yeah. um, because I make them earn their pocket money. 
whereas in the Taiwanese family, when it when they go back to the father's side, it's just given to them. Right? It's given to them, yeah. but I give them control over their pocket money. Okay. So I give them the cold hard cash. They get five dollars a week, and for that they've got to do some house cleaning. They've mm. got to do collaboration, which is unpacking mm. the dishwasher. Yeah. There's certain things if I ask them to do something, they have to do it. Life skills. Life skills, and they also <laughs> do recycling of bottles to yeah. ten cents a bottle. So that's. But when it's their money and if they say, look, I want to take that money out and I want to go and buy fairy floss at the school fete mm. or I want to go and buy magic cards or yeah. a game, yeah. I'm like, well, it's your money. You can do what you like. That's right. But at their dad's place, they get given lots of um, Hong Bao red envelope money yeah. and a lot of other money. At one point, my mother-in-law was giving them money. A ma was giving them money if they ate their food when she they visited her. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I'm kidding you not. They came back after that hoping that this was going to continue and I turned to my eldest and I said, you know what, if you don't eat, you die. So it's really it's your choice about whether you want to eat dinner or not, but you're not getting any money out of me. That is such easy mm. money. It's such easy. <laughs> from the Taiwanese side. Yeah, so he was a bit skinny, so I think he's a bit, they were a bit worried about him. But anyway, um, okay. that money, that Hong Bao or mm. red envelope money, they're not allowed to touch that. That's there for their future. Ah, but I the see. problem with that is that they don't get to have any concept of relativity. It's mm. just money in a, a jar. Mm. They're not actually going with their $20 or $10 and working out how much value they can get for that in a store. Yeah. Or having regrets going, oh, I bought all that candy and now I have a stomach ache. Maybe I won't do this again. It's like a lesson learned situation. <laughs> oh, that happens all the time. So my eldest has like this whole thing full of Pokemon cards. And I said to him, you don't even like Pokemon anymore. Think think of all that money you spent. And he yeah. went, oh, yeah, that's a point. But, you know, he's learned that lesson now and I'd rather he learned that lesson now. He's only 10 yeah. and we've been doing this pocket money thing now for about four, five years. Yeah. I'd rather they learn this now yeah. than when he's 20, 30, 40, 50. And then he gets all of the accumulation of Hong Bao with the compound interest mm. and then starts spending all of it on Pokemon candy and cards. Well, you know, some kids do. Liberation, yeah. you know, I'll buy a new car, I'll go on an international trip, I need That's new clothes mm. because you don't have the concept of how mm. how you earned that money. And I see that. Unless they get a job. <laughs> yes, I see that a lot. You know, it's a different value in Asian culture. Like parents really want to cocoon their children and they mm. want to work really hard in their life and give that money to their children. But then their children don't learn those necessarily learn those life skills about resilience and spending and money so you know I don't give my kids an easy ticket shall I say (laughs) do you also throw your pink book at them say read this (laughs) you need to learn how to survive Um, and be frugal in the real world well actually that's interesting because when the books actually arrived Mm. when I got the box of my initial sort of 10 um, my little one who was then six he helped me unpack it and they didn't actually know I was writing a book and I had all of this guilt as a mother about I've been cocooning myself away, yeah. not spending time with them, you know, writing this book. They didn't even know I was writing a book. They didn't even notice. Is said, mum's just ignoring us again. Yeah. <laughs> but there was this, because um, people ask me a lot about how do your children feel, you know, because mm. there's so much guilt about parenting and you sort of feel that you need to buy your kids expensive presents yeah. and buy them lots of, you know, their favourite snack foods and stuff mm. to keep them happy and, you know, they've got to really spend a lot of money on your kids, the best education blah 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 and I was asked this actually on mums at the table when I was on another tv show and we were watching that together and I was interested to see how they would respond to this and 
on the TV show are saying, well, actually, it's not so much the stuff. My kids actually want time with me. Mm. And in a really time-pressed world, that's actually, like, quite hard. Yeah, quality time together. Well, yeah, but that's kind of what they want. And my kids were actually nodding and they went, yeah, actually. This is what what we want. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, mind you, if you spend your whole life sacrificing your Mm. life going, I'm going to spend every minute of my life with my children, that's also not healthy. No. They need to be situated within a a family and knowing that everyone in the family has roles and they're not the centre. Yeah. because too much attention can be a little bit of a curse for on them exactly. later on life. But yeah. giving them toys and stuff mm. as a substitute for love, love yeah. um, is actually something you're going to set your kids up to fail because mm. what will be psychologically as they grow older, they'll just want to spend more and more and more money on to stuff. on stuff yeah. to replicate that feeling of happiness and yeah. love that they, they associate with rather than actually making a real connection making with a real people. connection with people and community yeah so and you know it's weird my kids they're not perfect you know mm. they do like to no spend their perfect. money oh my god oh i took them out <laughs> with their pocket money on the weekend and you know we were at, at kmart and they spent money on you know giant marshmallows and bubble gum and all sorts oh, of stuff they're kids. but they okay. knew it was their money you know yeah. we had that conversation with you know that's your money <laughs> if you spend it on this there's not stuff for other things things at all and bringing this back again to frugal and money and finances, you've also got a podcast now. I do. Yeah. So since I last spoke to you, it, the podcast is called This Abundant Life. I know. You've yeah. inspired a little bit. Well, but actually, oh, no, to, really. be, <laughs> to be honest, my um, co-host, uh, co-host Kirsty McQueen, she she came up with the idea and she, she contacted me. But, yeah, so we talk about a lot of issues on This mm. Abundant Life, about community, about mm. finances, about well-being. So really drilling down about, you know, what are the things that actually make us happy, really? Yeah. Well, everyone's different, I suppose, is how you've been brought up. And also sometimes, you know, some people might get to a point in their life and realise, oh, wait a second, money doesn't make the world go around or bring about happiness. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, it's different for different people. So mm. there's a number of people on the fire, financial independence, retire early path, for mm. instance. So we talked to them. There's one guy, Dave Gow, who retired yeah. at age 28. Wow. I know. I got How my... did you do it? Can you quickly like give us Yeah, so he his, was uh, on a, a low income mm. uh, job. So he was only earning $75,000 a year mm. and his partner wasn't earning big money either. Mm. And they started with property and then they got into index uh, shares and they just lived very frugally. Okay. And they did actually fairly quickly. So wow. he started work when he was quite young and he said that he was looking around, there's all these guys who are sort of in their 50s, 60s. Mm. He was working, I think, in a sheet metal company, a factory. Yeah. And he said they weren't happy. And mm. it was like, what are they doing still working? I don't want to be that old and still working and unhappy. Yeah. So he started investing. Um. But what's interesting about a lot of these stories is it's not just, oh, I, you know, I got a six-figure income or mm. I'm, you know, a multi-billionaire. Mm. It's, um, yeah, well, this is what it means to me. Like, well, this is what's meaningful for mm. me. I made a choice to do things that are meaningful for me and I had the courage to do that. Yeah. No, good on him for having a five-figure salary and pay, paying off all the mortgage, <laughs> I'm guessing, for- um, for, for Dave or for me? For Dave. For and Dave. you as well. Um, no, actually, uh, well, he's, I, can't, I can't remember exactly how mm. his investments are structured, but yeah. he certainly earned enough that he could um, retire at age 28 and his partner also retired but then chose to go back to work part-time for the socialisation. For sanity's sake. For sanity's sake. <laughs> Just, you know, to be around people. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. really important and healthy for some people. Exactly. Ugh. 
And some of this, uh, and some other uh, issues that you talk about? Um... Uh, sustainability is a big one yeah. as well. So uh, we talk with uh, the founder of Zero Waste Canberra about how she practices mm. sustainability as a family, which is really fascinating, how yeah. you get your kids on board in terms of reducing rubbish and, yeah. and stuff, which is great. We talk about the latte factor, about um, coffees, about whether the cost of coffee can make you wealthy, which is... <laughs> going back to this very close to my heart exactly like Tommy if you're listening to this we take a stab at you now (laughs) exactly it's coming back and back but he's actually a coffee drinker so he's got a a, a different view on that um yes and we've just done one with Lish Feyer who's a Canberra um, radio and tv personality about energy efficiency which is something she's deeply passionate about and we talk about bubble wrap Uh and we talk about manholes (laughs) that's not two things that i would always you know associate bubble wrap with you're gonna have to listen to it it's funny (laughs) and some other exciting things are coming up for you you're writing more books i am so i'm working on the at the moment on a book about frugal weddings so i'm always really happy to hear stories about really um connected and beautiful weddings that don't leave Mm. a happy couple bankrupt and destitute well not necessarily that bad but you know like even today I was speaking with someone who said oh yeah someone in our office says that she's spending sixty thousand dollars on her wedding and she thinks that that's cheap because that's all she can do isn't that a deposit for your for a mortgage for your house (laughs) well this is it and so people have said to me that a lot of young people are saying well I'm never going to be able to afford to buy a property and in somewhere like Canberra sorry somewhere like Sydney Mm. particularly Mm. I probably don't want to anyway so I may as well have an event to remember Mm. and I've always wanted to be a princess there you go but yes the frugal in it the frugalista (laughs) in me sort of says yes but like it's significant and it's beautiful, but it's one day. In fact, it's less than a day. It's yeah. only really a couple of hours. Do you really want to have that much debt Yeah. for something so short term? When you could maybe spend, well, maybe let's say half of it and spend the other half to, towards your mortgage, your future mortgage perhaps? Well, yes. Yeah. When Neil and I got married last year, we set a budget of $5,000 mm. and we had about 200 guests. And we came wow. in under budget. Wow. So in the end, the budget was 4000 How did you have a wedding under $5,000 for uh, 200 guests? You're going to have to read the book. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> but it's, you know, I had an, a dress that, you know, was from Antwerp, a beautiful satin dress. You know, yeah. we arrived at the reception in a horse and buggy. Oh, we had a musician. What? We had country band. Uh, I made my own wedding cake. Oh, my God. It's beautiful okay. 1950s style sugar fondant, mm. rose and cherry blossom three-tiered cake and did you have um all your close friends and family uh contribute to the wedding or 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 take part in the wedding so that's what made it uh, really close and impersonal we really had a very participatory Mm. style and i think people really responded to it a few people said to me you know we weren't really quite sure what to expect (laughs) (laughs) but then we got there and it was like wow it was really chill and it was really relaxed and I think the thing is we didn't put expectations on mm. people that, you know, had to sit on this big long table with people you didn't know. That's what wedding can become. And so it was mm. the day of the NRL grand final and so um, <laughs> hubby Neil had managed to set up. Um, TV. Yeah, which was quite a big deal because we're in a rural area without good um, access. Yeah. So he set all that up. And wow. so there was a group of guys out watching, you know, the, the rugby league. We had five Was he kids. marrying you or was he marrying the TV that day? <laughs> <laughs> 
was married, man. He was with me most of the night. But, uh, you know, most of the guys really appreciated that and oh, we put good. that in the invitation so they didn't feel torn. And um, and then, strangely enough, most of the women end up doing the dishes towards the end of the night. Now, I felt I'm terrible so sorry. about I'm going to say something really sexist there. Go on, go on. <laughs> women should be in the kitchen, yes. Obviously. Um, obviously not. There were some guys too, including one of my friend's husbands who, who sort of groaned and said, oh, I'm just here because my wife told me to be. But he was actually quite happy being there anyway. Um, but, you know, I was trying to hire a teenager to do the dishes and I tried twice and I couldn't couldn't get one in this rural area. No one was available. And in the Kids end, days. I know, hubby Neil said, just don't worry. Like it's a, it's a country community. Like yeah. everyone will love to help. And so one of my, my very closest friends, Trish, she said, oh, it was such a hoot. She said, your mum was there, your aunt was there, I was there. We were flicking tea towels. We were chat, 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 oh. chatting. We were having the best of time. Um, so, yeah, I think if you allow spaces to do that. And then within the hall itself we had um, the mm. ACT town crier was leading oh, okay. all these kind of groups. We had, you know, the bus stop and the YMCA and the Macarena and oh karaoke. and What a hoot. <laughs> I know, it was a hoot. So it was actually lots of fun. So I guess the main thing is when you, from my point of view, is when you concentrate on the love and mm. the joy and mm. the community and make choices that are right for you mm. rather than worrying too much about what other people think. Mm. It all kind of gels because I think people, they want to feel connected to you. Yeah. Uh, there's so much pressure to have an Instagram perfect moment, but really they want to be part of a celebration and an event. That's right. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes um, these weddings, it also depends on um, how how young you get married and mm. also, I guess, how influenced you are by, you know, glitzy movies, over-the-top weddings, like this is the expectation of what a wedding should be versus, I guess, with a bit of maturity, then you realise, wait a second, you know, it shouldn't be about the day, it should be about me and my family and my friends. So, so I do people have those kind of different expectations as well. Um, I'm conscious yeah. there's an awful lot of pressure mm. on modern brides. Yes, um, especially for mother-in-laws. Uh, for and mother-in-laws and, and worrying, mm. you know, all their friends have done this mm. and they want to do something and, you know, they get fed so much yeah. advertising stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't really want to criticise brides and say it's all their fault. No. Because it's not. There's a lot of societal expectations that are heaped there about mm. you. And I know the first time around, particularly feeling very judged as a bride, mm. wanting to keep everyone happy and wanting an event that's beautiful and stylish because it reflects you as yeah. a person and people really will look at that and you don't yeah. want, you know, your uh, great aunt, and someone it, going, yeah. And it's a very cultural thing because I think with um, Asian weddings, especially uh, in China, the uh, one-child policy, which is majority of population still, um, so they want to spend all that money um, on the child. So my mum actually had a kitty set up for my wedding. And wow, she said, no yeah. pressure, no pressure. No, no, no. So instead, no, that kitty doesn't exist anymore because I think she's given up on me. <laughs> but that kitty was in the six-figure. Australian or Australian six figure in the Australian for my first wedding and she in her mind my wedding was going to be um in my 20s right and that never happened for her so <laughs> Madam Chan are you a shung you a leftover I'm a leftover apparently I'm a leftover since like 27 years old <laughs> Well, I think you're in a very good company and it's a terrible, terrible turn anyway. Well, I don't feel the pressure, Mama. Whatever. <laughs> well, you know, I think this is an issue because I know mm. particularly when I lived in Taiwan, there was very much that culture and sometimes people rushed when they were around yeah, about 30 and right. sometimes it ended up really really well but sometimes mm. it didn't because yeah. they were rushing to marry someone to please their family that's right. produce hairs they weren't doing it 
for mm-hmm. for love. I mean, relationships are always you know, difficult as someone who's been married once before and mm. touch wood second time round is going well so far. I can hope it continues to go well, but I don't have a crystal ball and I'm not perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's I know. Things, you know, in your life, any type of relationship, it, you know, it can change and takes yeah. work. So um, I think she scared me because she was, she was not, not, not only a tiger mom, but she had the expectation that I would marry my first boyfriend from high school. So my high school, high school sweetheart. So there was all this like pressure, like go find a house with him. Um, you're going to get married i've got all this money saved up for you this is the wedding we're going to invite all relatives from china bring them over and you're going to do this before you're 21 before you're 21 before i was 21 and before i finished my um my degree and it was just all this oh my god oh my god and i felt like suffocating and thinking i have not experienced the world i haven't gone traveling i haven't done all the things that i want to do well a lot of chinese kids probably wouldn't have stood up to their tiger mom but you know i'm a rebel and <laughs> that's how i roll <laughs> and so i think because of all her expectations and um suffocation i've just done the complete opposite just to piss her off <laughs> that's why i am never getting married <laughs> forge your own path i guess i didn't have that kind of yeah. um pressure although it is interesting because mm. you know my mom and my dad got engaged when i think mm. on mum's 21st birthday they announced oh. it so there's this period in australian mm. history where that was a norm that's that right. you would announce your engagement around your 21st birthday yeah and sort of you know formalize the deal within about a year and have children soon after yeah so I guess from a reproductive point of view, if you're planning to have kids, it does make sense to sort of start earlier. But these days, our modern lives with, you know, things like university and work Mm. commitments, it does make it more difficult. And if you want to have a house to afford it. Do you know the really interesting thing is statistically, young women are more likely to buy a home or or more of them Mm. are buying homes before being in a relationship than young men. That's right. So we still have this really outdated notion of, you know, Mm. the man will buy the home. That's right. And he'll carry his new bride over the threshold and you know he'll be the main income earner yep. and they'll live happily ever after but the reality is most of my female friends they have an apartment or because a small they're house better with money often they are yeah. they're a bit more organized they've got their That's right their stuff together i was yeah. going to say something else <laughs> um, <laughs> <Stuff together. laughs> they got their stuff together well, earlier. <laughs> but you know um statistically that's mm. that's what's happening and so i think i know it's a bit different in china because mm. there's still a lot more pressure yeah um for a man to have a property before yeah. um, getting married, and the one-child policy has skewed things so that women have a little bit more choice. So, it's a bit—it's a bit of a different scenario. But in Australia, at least, you know, I think we need to walk away from this. And mm. with big weddings, it's often the woman who's left picking up most of the bill because a lot of the expenditure—it's not so much the big mm. things such as the reception yeah. or the ceremony. It's the dress and those shoes and those cute little pillows to put the rings on and and other like uh, entertainment for the night it's the it's all the little things you know the cutesy invitations and yeah. stuff and so all it all adds up and it's often the women who are paying for that out of their own yeah, pocket rather tradition. than uh, a joint expenses necessarily so i think that just needs to be recognized as well yeah and i think it also needs to be recognized that women are better savers as well um having been able to buy their own place before they get married and before they even um meet their partner essentially i think yeah. often better savers mm. i don't mm. i actually don't have statistics on whether men or women are better savers although i do know <laughs> that in terms of um buying a first house it's often Mm. um these days women who are often 
yeah um ahead on that but i think men and women save in different ways mm. so with women it's often things like saving money on your budget for how you're cooking or cooking at home eating at home those types of things yeah men it's often oh well i don't want to spend money so i just don't buy new clothes mm. with women it's a bit harder because yeah. you can say oh yeah i just won't buy new clothes but then you've got you know something to go to yeah like you know a job interview or a wedding or you know a friend's party um it's just harder for women usually mm. to manage that right yeah. Serena, it has been wonderful. I've learned so much today from the Taiwanese cultural side as well. <laughs> Your impressive Chinese Mandarin downstairs ordering bubble tea. <laughs> it's actually, I have um, Tui Bula. I've, I've um, gotten a little rusty. <laughs> hey, look, I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. I had to speak English to her. <laughs> so I think the poor chick was probably shocked going, all right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank and, you so much. You know, I'll always love having you on this awesome episode show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's just been an honour and a, pr a privilege. So thank you. <laughs> Excellent. And now Serena and I are going to catch up properly doing other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more bubble tea. More bubble tea. <laughs> Bag right out. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For the latest updates and posts, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love it as much as Captain Bagrat and I do, uh, please support us on Patreon, where we hope that our dream of having our own TV show will become a reality one day. So then we can continue to fight boring news on everything, anything, and nothing with an Asian twist. Thanks for your support. Bagrat out. Solid. <laughs>